resources for us as we pray, as we talk to God. And so this morning, we're going to be closing up with one of the most famous, not only one of the most famous psalms, but probably one of the most famous passages of Scripture um, there is. Even if you don't have a church background, you probably have some reference to Psalm 23. That's where we're going to go this morning, Psalm 23. Um, And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up Psalm 23. If you don't have a Bible, there is one sitting in a seat back near you. Go ahead and use that. If you don't own a Bible, that feel free to take that Bible. Um, That's our gift to you. And so, uh, like I said, this is probably one of the most famous, this is right up there with like John 3.16, right? This is probably one of the most famous passages in Scripture. And as I was preparing, as I was walking through this whole series this summer, um, I kind of kept thinking, you know, we'll do Psalm 23 at some point, maybe we'll we'll finish with it. And to be honest, I thought, this is going to be a pretty easy sermon, right? I, I memorized this Psalm as a kid, I've heard it preached, I've studied it, I've read it thousands and thousands of times, it's pretty easy, I can pretty much, uh, it, won't, it won't take much work, but as I have been in this sermon, as I've been in this text this week, um, the depth and richness of this psalm has just completely at times overwhelmed me. There is so much here that we could do a very long series just on this, sermon, on this psalm alone, um, and so I am so excited to enter in and, and read this here with you this morning. So uh, I'm going to pray, and then we are going to jump in to Psalm 23. Lord, you are our leader, you are our protector, and our provider. God, there is none like you. In you, we find our fulfillment, our joy, and our satisfaction. You take care of us. You know what we need and you provide for us. In you we find rest and we are refreshed. We are renewed. And all of this is for your glory and honor and praise. God, you know what is best for us. And so help us to trust that. Help us to trust you more. Help us to trust you even when it doesn't make sense to us. When fear tries to distract us, Lord, we ask that you come in and comfort us. We know you have good in store for us. We know you will not only provide for us here and now, but through Christ you have provided for us a new identity and a new home. Lord, as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So I'm going to read Psalm 23 straight through and then we will go back in. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd was not a position to be desired. Right? Nobody, won, nobody grew up saying, you know how like, kids grow up now, it's like, I want to be a fireman, I want to be a doctor. No one said, I want to grow up and be a shepherd. Shepherd was not something, it was one of those jobs that just kind of had to get done. It was delegated to whoever was the the smallest, whoever just was the lowest on the totem pole. The shepherd had to live with the sheep. 
The shepherd was everything to the sheep. Leader, provider, protector, physician. You were with the sheep 24-7. And the role of shepherd, though it is not one to be desired, was one that is super important. Was It revolved around showing compassion and care to these helpless animals. David knew all too well what it took to be a shepherd. Right? Remember when, when David first shows up in the Bible, Samuel the prophet comes, God tells Samuel, I'm going to anoint a new king. Go to this family. He's one of the sons of this man, Jesse. And he goes to Jesse. And Jesse brings out all his sons. They're tall. They're good looking. They're athletic. And God says, no, it's not him. It's not him. It's not him. Passes by a bunch of different sons. Eventually the prophet says, do you have any more sons? Is somebody else here? Because God says it's not any of these first couple of guys. And Jesse says, yeah, I got the youngest, David. He's with the sheep. Because again, the role of shepherd was not one that anybody wanted to do, so the youngest had to do it. He's out living with the sheep. He's out doing his job. I'll get him. And then God brings David to Samuel and says, that's my guy. He is the one I want to make king. David knew all too well what it took to be a shepherd. The long nights, fighting off bears and wolves, having to chase down sheep when they wandered away. But now, when he writes Psalm 23, he is king. He is the ultimate authority. He is the most powerful man in the land. And yet here he says, the Lord is my shepherd. King David, the warrior king, the poet king, just equated himself to a sheep, a helpless, weak, dumb animal. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. David humbly knew that the only reason he is on the throne the only reason he survived Goliath, the only reason he escaped the punishment of, and the attacks of Saul, the only reason he has gone to war so many times and been victorious is because the Lord is his shepherd, guiding and protecting him. Because that's what a shepherd does, guides and protects. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I shall not want. Now that does not mean God is going to give you whatever you want. We live in a world that is never satisfied. It tells us that we should never be satisfied. The world tells us you need a bigger house. You need a faster car, a smarter smartphone, more money, a better job, better looks, better wardrobe, whatever you have, no matter how good it is, you need better. You need more. And see, that in itself is the problem with trying to find your satisfaction, trying to find your fulfillment in this world, because you will always be left wanting. You see, this verse doesn't mean God will give you whatever you want. Instead, it means because he is the good shepherd, because he is the shepherd who cares for his sheep, he will give us what we need. He will provide for us what we need. If the Lord is your shepherd, you will lack nothing. That was the original plan. If you go back to Genesis and you look at the original plan in the garden, the humans, Adam and Eve, would rely fully on God, be satisfied fully on God. They wanted for nothing. They needed nothing. It was perfection. And then sin enters, and then humans start deciding, we know better than God. I can do this on my own. And though we are still sheep, we stop seeing ourselves that way. The shepherd's job is to know his sheep and know what they need and when and how to provide it for them. The good shepherd says, 
You will lack nothing. I will take care of you. And he gives us examples of how he will take care of the sheep in verse 2. He says, he makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still water. I didn't plan that. Um, there's a book, a pretty famous book. There's a man named Philip Keller. And he actually went and worked as a shepherd for eight years. And then he wrote a book about it. And the book is called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. So basically, he went and actually lived as a shepherd and then wrote about his experience and reflected on it in relation to Psalm 23. And in that book, he talks about sheep and what it takes to get a sheep to lie down. And this is what he says. Um, in the book, he mentions that sheep do not lie down easily, and they will not lie down unless four conditions are met. Because they are timid, they will not lie down if they are afraid. Because they are social animals, they will not lie down if there is friction among the sheep. If flies or parasites trouble them, they will not lie down. And finally, if sheep are anxious about food or hungry, they will not lie down. Rest comes because the shepherd has dealt with fear and friction and bugs and hunger. It is the shepherd's job, it is the shepherd's role to eliminate the things in the sheep's life that will keep them from rest, that will keep them from lying down and sleeping and resting. It says, the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. He takes care of the things, the distractions, the things that keep me from rest. He handles those. And he leads me beside still waters. Sheep are skittish and weak. If they went to a fast-moving stream or something with a current, they wouldn't be able to handle it. The noise, the, the moving water, they might actually fall in and just get taken downstream. Sheep needed still, peaceful water. The shepherd knows this, and he knows that sheep need water to survive, and so he leads his sheep to places of quiet, to rest, and to be replenished. Verse 2 shows that the shepherd knows his sheep. He knows what they need and how to best provide it for them. God knows what you need and how to best provide it for you. He knows you need rest. He knows what you need to be replenished. He knows how to best provide for you because he is the good shepherd. If you will allow him to be your shepherd, if you will allow him to lead you and provide for you, he will take care of you. Verse 3, David says, he restores my soul. Uh, when we started this series, we started with Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, David is writing and talking about the word of the Lord. He's talking about the Bible. And he says, the word of the Lord is perfect for reviving the soul. Restoring the soul. Sheep will stray. They will wander off. They will also sometimes get sick. It is the shepherd's job to find his sheep and put them on the right path. That's what it means to restore the soul. You have wandered away. The Lord comes and finds you and restores you back to the flock, restores you back to the path you are supposed to be on. If you are sick, he restores you to health. He restores you back to where you are supposed to be, what you are supposed to be doing. I think we can all agree there have been times in our lives, at least... It's Sunday, I can be honest. There have been times in my own life where I have strayed away, when I have decided, I know best, I'm going to do whatever I want. And it hasn't worked. And thankfully, God has sought me out. The Good Shepherd came and found me and led me back to the fold. He led me back, restored my soul. And so if that's you this morning, if you are wandering, if you 
are going off course, and you know, you know what your life is like, you know the things you're doing in secret, you know the things you're doing and hiding from everybody else, if that's you or if that's somebody in your life who at you think maybe hope is lost, they're too far gone, I'm too far gone, there's no way I can possibly come back, Jesus is the good shepherd. And he continues to pursue his lost sheep. And he wants his lost sheep to come home and will continue to pursue them until they are found. He talks about this. Jesus talks about this in Luke 15, verses 4 through 7. He says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Jesus will always go looking for his sheep. And when he finds them, it's not about getting a lecture. It's not so that you can be judged or punished or scolded. But there is grace and love and forgiveness. He restores my soul. He restores what is broken Jesus restores the soul. Not only does he restore our soul, but he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The shepherd wants to get his flock to pastures, to green pastures. And he wants to get his flock beside still waters, to places of rest and replenishment. He wants to lead his flock to the places of safety and security, and he wants to lead us along right paths. Because Jesus is the good shepherd, the best perfect shepherd, he doesn't make a wrong turn. He doesn't get lost, and he doesn't ever stop leading us along the way, and he never leads us the wrong way. The more we let Jesus lead us, the more righteous we are being made. The more we follow him, the more righteous we are being made. And the path he has for us is the best, best path possible. The most righteous, most straight, most direct path from here to rest and replenishment. Israel is not known for its lush greenery. It's known for hills and valleys, rocks and mountains. Which means finding green pastures and still waters often meant leading the sheep on very long journeys. They would be walking up and down hills along mountainsides. They would be going deep into valleys. They would be on paths sometimes so narrow that the sheep would have to walk single file or else they would fall off a cliff. And during those times, the shepherd would walk behind them so he could keep an eye on them. And he would take a rock and he'd throw it up ahead and to point the sheep to where they needed to go. Oftentimes, the footing would be unstable. But he was always leading them somewhere better. Even when these journeys were hard and long, he was always leading the sheep somewhere better. God is always leading us to what is best for us. Not just what is good enough, but what is best. Because Israel was not known for its green pastures, when you found one, you often weren't there alone. There would be other sheep, other shepherds with other flocks there grazing. And so it wouldn't take very long before those pastures to get ruined, and you would need to move on to the next one. And so the sheep might think, well, why are we on this narrow mountainside? Why are we on this tiny little path that I can almost fall off of when we were just at a green pasture? Because the sheep don't know any better. The shepherd knows what's best. 
Sometimes he leads us on paths that seem too hard and that seem too narrow. We question why. Why did we leave what we thought was good to go on this tiny, narrow, unstable path? It's because he knows what is best for us. He knows what is right. We need to trust him in that. And why does he do this? Why does he make us lie down and give us rest? Why does he lead us beside still waters to replenish us? Why does he restore our soul? It is for his name's sake. God guides us for his sake, not ours. For his glory, not ours. So that his name and his reputation will be made much of. So that we will bring glory and honor and praise to the name of the shepherd who has fulfilled us and led us and provided for us and restored us. God's goodness and protection and provision is motivated not because we are great or because we are good or because we are even just kind of okay. God, God's protection and provision is motivated by his character, by who he is. And so it's for his glory that he does these things, that he leads us. And we need to trust him even when it's scary and hard. Which leads us to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, I said, I, you know, this is one of those passages I've, I've read and reread hundreds and hundreds of times. I memorized it when I was a kid. And it really wasn't until this week that I saw a connection um, between verse 3 and verse 4. Verse 3 says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He leads me on these paths that are the best paths, the most direct paths to where He wants to provide for us, where He wants to get us to next, the most best way to get there. And sometimes that means going through the valley of the shadow of death. As the shepherd would lead his flock in search of these green pastures and still waters, he would travel up and down hills and valleys and mountainsides and canyons. And like I said, it would be long and treacherous at times. And sometimes the valley of the shadow of death is as much the right path as the green pastures and the still waters are. Sometimes going through those things are the most right and direct path to get you where God wants you to be. Now let's talk about how, he, how David mentions this valley. First thing he says is, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I walk through it. The valley of the shadow of death is not the destination. It's not home. He is walking through this valley. He is getting through it. He isn't running he isn't doing that thing. Remember when you were a little kid and like the light switch was on the other side of the room and you had to turn off the light and then run in the dark like to get past the scary part of the room, you know? And like so like you hit the light and you kind of like do one of those like quick walks. That's not what he's doing here. He's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He's just walking. He's not letting his surroundings scare him. And it's interesting that David says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Charles Spurgeon was uh, a preacher, um, one of my favorites and probably one of the greatest preachers of all time. And he said this about the valley of the shadow of death. He said, death in its substance has been removed and only the shadow of it remains. Someone has said that where there is a shadow, there must be light somewhere. And so there is. 
Death stands by the side of the highway in which we have to travel, and the light of heaven shining upon him throws a shadow across our path. Let us then rejoice that there is a light beyond. Nobody is afraid of a shadow, for a shadow cannot stop a man's pathway even for a moment. The shadow of a dog cannot bite, the shadow of a sword cannot kill, and the shadow of death cannot destroy us. Death may be around, it may be lurking, but through Christ's death, through Christ's death and resurrection, he proved he was more powerful than death. And for the Christian, death is not the end. Death for the Christian merely means being reunited with God. It means enjoying perfection. It means being with the good shepherd. There will be times and seasons of our lives when we have to walk through these dark, scary valleys. There will be times where we have to walk in the darkness and see the scary shadows, and we're afraid. And David says we have no reason to be afraid. Why? Because God is with us. And he makes it very, very clear. I want you to look at how the change in the pronoun. I want you to just just listen to this for a second. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for, what is that word? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It is in the dark and the scary and the hard places of life that God's presence in our lives is most magnified. I said that when the sheep were on these narrow paths, when they were walking on these, in these tight valleys and corridors, the shepherd would walk behind them and throw a rock ahead to show them where they were going. He would do this in the valleys as well, especially at night, because you can keep an eye on all of your sheep. So if a bear or a wolf or somebody tries to attack, he can see them and go and defend his sheep. And so as they were doing this, as they were walking along the way, because the sheep couldn't see him, he would take his rod and he'd hit against the rocks. And he'd tap and make a little bit of noise and remind them he was with them. He would remind them, don't be afraid. I'm right here. I'm with you. I'm watching you. I'm protecting you. I am for you. I still have my rod with me. So I can fight any bear, any wolf, anything this life might throw at you. I am there to protect you and defend you. And I still have my staff with me. I'm still walking with you. Though you can't see me, I am with you. I am always with you. I am leading you. Yes, it is scary, but do not fear because I am with you. When it is dark and scary and we wonder, where is God? What are you doing, God? He is with you. You have nothing to fear. You have a God who cares for you. He cares for you so much more and he sees you as so much more than just a sheep. You are so much more important to him than just a sheep. You are special. You are important to God. He made you. He knows you and he loves you. You are something special to him. And that, you see this change in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is a a verse describing a celebration. 
This is joyful. This is a victory after a battle. That's why the enemies are there. After you won a great battle, you would come back home and there would be this great celebration feast and any prisoners from the war would be there and would have to watch you celebrate. They would have to watch you enjoy the victory celebration knowing they lost the battle. There's, it's a banquet prepared. It's a feast. The anointing of oil, the overflowing cup of wine, this is a party. A party that has been thrown and you are an honored guest at. In that day, to eat and to drink, to be welcomed into someone's table was intimate and important and special. You had a different kind of relationship with that person now. You were in their home. You were at their table. It was around meals and things like this where covenants were fortified. It was around a meal like this that Jesus declared that his blood represented by a glass of wine was the blood of a new and everlasting covenant. A new relationship between God and man. You see, we're not just sheep. We're not just dumb, helpless animals. God sees us as special. In John 15, 15, Jesus calls us his friends. And we have been invited guests at the table. We are welcome not only at his table, but in his home. Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy, goodness and steadfast, loyal love shall pursue you for all of your days. These things come flowing freely from God. He has them in abundance and pours them out in abundance. We're not just sheep. We're not just we're not even just invited guests to a banquet. We are his sons and daughters invited to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To be in his presence, to want for nothing, to need nothing, to finally be at peace. This passage, like I said, is probably one of the most well-known. Lots of people have heard bits and pieces of it. Like I said, even if you don't have a church background, you probably have some recollection of it. But this passage doesn't apply to you at all if Jesus isn't your shepherd. If you aren't a guest at the party, if you aren't a son or daughter of God, this passage doesn't play for you. So all the rest, the replenishment, the restoration, the protection, all of those things, if you aren't part of what is being talked about here, then those things aren't for you. But the good news is that you, you can be. There is an open standing invitation available to anyone and everyone. And it starts with realizing that we're kind of helpless. Like sheep, we are helpless. Helpless because on our own, we are destined for hell. On our own, we are rebels against God. On our own, we are sinners. And because of our sin, anything that sin, which is anything that goes against God, because of our sin, by nature, we are destined for hell. We're helpless. And but because God is gracious and merciful, because who he is, he sends his son Jesus to die for us and pay the penalty for our sins. He is resurrected. 
Not only to prove his power and authority and make it possible for us to be resurrected as well, but he restores us. He makes it so we are no longer enemies of God destined for hell, but now instead we are part of the flock, part of the party, invited into God's home. We are part of God's family. So to anyone who believes that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection makes it possible for them to be saved, they are seen as new and as righteous. He is their shepherd. They are his sheep. He is guiding and leading and protecting and providing. He is the host of the party, and we are his guests of honor at the table. Welcome. And then we are also welcomed into his home. And not just welcomed into his home, welcomed into our home. Psalm 23 is a psalm that reminds us that he is not against you, that you have a God who is for you. He has the best of intentions at heart for you. That even when it's scary, even when you don't understand where you're going or where he's leading or what he is doing, he knows exactly the perfect and right way to go. Psalm 23 is a psalm to remind us that he has shown us he has won. He is victorious. He has done battle with sin and death and hell and come out the victor. It's a psalm that reminds us that we have nothing to fear, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And it's a psalm that asks the question, is the Lord your shepherd? Because if he is, you want for nothing. He will provide all that you need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for who you are. God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the Psalms, for these poems, for these songs that are so real and so vulnerable. These times, these moments that we get to see into David and other men's lives and see how they talk to God. Lord, let these Psalms, let this Psalm motivate us to speak with you open and honestly. Let it motivate us to ask the question, God, are you our shepherd? Are you my shepherd? Am I a sheep of yours? Do I know your voice? Do I hear when you call and do I listen? Lord, as we walk, as you lead us, God, help us to stay focused on the path you have for us. And in those times and moments of darkness, Lord, I pray that you remind us there is nothing to fear because you are with us and for us and never against us, and never going to lead us into danger. God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus, for the new life that his life, death, burial, and resurrection gives us. Lord, we pray, God, I pray this morning for anyone here that doesn't know you, anyone here who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, who haven't, hasn't accepted the free gift of grace you have given, Lord, I pray that this morning is that day for them that this morning is for maybe for the first time they are welcomed into the herd. They are welcomed to the table. They are welcomed home. God, we thank you for who you are and what you are doing in our lives. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name.